Hi, I'm Leah, one of the co-hosts of Fang Club. Before we get started, I just wanted to take a moment to thank our sponsor, the ghost of William Shakespeare. This week, we're discussing the recent Netflix TV series, First Kill. Now, if you have seen First Kill and you enjoyed it, do you know what else you might enjoy? Romeo and Juliet, the Shakespeare play upon which the show is based. We encourage you to go out and buy a copy of Romeo and Juliet, wherever books or plays are sold. Shakespeare won't see a penny of the profits because all of his works are in the public domain. However, the ghost of William Shakespeare can only remain on this mortal plane as long as his works are still being read. So Shakespeare's ghost would really appreciate it if you went out and read Romeo and Juliet. He's not done haunting English departments yet. Welcome, I'm Leah. And I'm Bree, we're your hosts. You've just joined a meeting of the Fang Club, where we like to hype up cancelled Netflix shows that sometimes relate to the scary, sexy, and silly vampire films of the 21st century. Before we dive in, here's the obligatory spoiler alert for the show we're going to be discussing in this episode. So if you haven't seen First Kill on Netflix, um, now's your chance. But um, just a warning, it has, as we've joked in the title already, or in the intro, already um it has been canceled so don't expect more going in know that you will be in for a permanent cliffhanger <laughs> yes yes unfortunately because it doesn't on kind of it doesn't on a cliffhanger you're left wanting more the last episode is the best one like they like did a shit ton of building and then it was like but for what because now there's nothing <laughs> there's nothing which is kind of a netflix like uh like a trademark don't get attached. I will never, ever forgive Netflix for canceling. I am not okay with this. That that one stung, like, a lot. And and I am a huge Brian Fuller fan, so I'm used to being disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm used to things getting canceled because no one else likes them but me. Rip pushing daisies. God, I can't think about pushing daisies without starting to sob. So we're not going to do that. That was like the first traumatic show cancellation for me. I was in love with that show and they canceled it and I'm still mad about it. And now we're both going to cry. So we need to change the subject. It was just delightful and so good. <laughs> like if that, if like you can think of a person in a show, like I feel like my personality is pushing daisies. Like that is me. That was like a formative experience. So mm. Perfect show. Perfect show. And it introduced me to Lee Pace, who is just a perfect specimen. What else do you need? Exactly. I was going to say we need him as a vampire, but we've had him as a vampire. <laughs> and we blocked it from our minds. <laughs> I'm not even going to tell our audience what his vampire character was, because you should know. If yeah. You're, if You're a true fan. <laughs> You will know. <laughs> We're like, are we gatekeeping Lee Pace now? Like, yes. you can't be a true fan. Okay, all right. All right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there have been a couple. Well, I mean, Netflix has been on a cancellation spree, but there have been a few recently that have really stung. Like, I have, like, some suspicions that some of it is, like, ratings-based, but I think the most of it's not ratings-based, and I think most of it is, like, they don't know what to do moving forward with a series. And instead of like chancing that they flub it up and make people mad, they just cancel it. 
they just pull it because like i mean if you think about it stranger things is like the only ongoing long-term netflix series that's like still going and i think that's mainly due to the fact that like it had a very strong vision for what it would be completely like from the get-go like yeah they were they're writing it as they went but like i feel like they had like the whole thing planned out and i feel like that's not the case for a lot of these shows that netflix picks up and it's just kind of like i wish they would take a chance more well and i think that there's also with the binge model of releasing tv you don't have time to really develop a show based on like ratings or audience feedback or critical feedback or whatever like i think a huge component of what tv shows used to be was time Mm -hmm. and like when you had 21 episode seasons the whole season wasn't written out god i miss that you know like so much right and i feel like there is no chance for a lot of these Netflix shows to develop organically or for the writers or creators or whatever to kind of see what's working, see what's not and incorporate things and jettison things. And like, it's totally changed the way that TV is. It's obviously totally changed the way TV is consumed, but it's really changed the way that it's produced and made too. And I think like something like First Kill, I think could have benefited from that more traditional sort of TV making model because there are a lot of good things in the show that I think could have gotten developed and the show would have become better and and could have become something like fun over time but it's really hard when you just have to put out eight episodes and be like this is my complete vision and you're like well <laughs> I think that a lot of shows but specifically first kill um in particular would do really, really well from that old ye olden day thing of having a pilot episode. Yeah. And having that to, like, really test the waters. And, I mean, because there's so many shows where the pilot episode is so much different from even the second one. And that's because, like, you're getting feedback, you're understanding what you're working with, and you're understanding what people want. And, like, my my the immediate example that comes to my head is, like, the first, like, the original series Star Trek show. Mm-hmm. Like the first, the pilot had like completely different cast of characters. And then they were like, actually, let's go with Shatner instead. <laughs> and, um, and like, I mean, you can say whether you agree with it or not, but like it definitely changed the trajectory of the entire like franchise. And I, I just really think that there's a lot of really good work that happens between making long-term shows like this that, make them good like if think about if we had true blood made like this eric would have that bad wig the entire time and doesn't that make you just like really sad yeah (laughs) yeah and and like i just feel like the like even the writing of a show has so much more room for improvement when they're pacing it slower and they're also like getting responses from viewers from other network like just everything you know and i feel like the writing of this show could have gotten a lot better if they if they let them have more seasons it would have gotten better because it's like it's not it's not good the writing's not good (laughs) no it's not super great i think that it's partly because it it's not really supposed to be great (laughs) like it's not gonna be 
uh, a very sophisticated um, show to begin with. Like, it's clearly set up to be, like, a teen supernatural soap opera. Right. Like, it's kind of going for that, like, cheesy, like, 2010 CW kind of like, think tone. Teen, teen Wolf had a baby with Gossip Girl, and they put it on the CW. That's yeah. what this show is. That's a very good description of the tone of this show and the quality of this show. So, yeah, I don't want to be, like, too harsh on it. Because that's what I it don't... is. Like, it's not meant to be, like sophisticated media it's not it's like it's supposed to be entertaining and it's supposed to be like heart-wrenching and horny (laughs) yeah and and i think i think the reason that both of us are kind of maybe picking on the writing is because this story is a romance it's a spin-off of romeo and juliet except instead of coming from two you know, Italian families who have a feud for God knows what reason. Um, One of the leads is a vampire and she's a legacy vampire. So she's born a vampire. That's Juliet. Um, And so her whole family is vampires. And then the other lead, um, the other co-lead in the romantic interest, Calliope, she comes from a family of monster hunters. Um, So it's this sort of star-crossed romance and where the romance falls down is in the writing. And I think that the show would be more enjoyable and more fun and be more of what I think it wants to be if the romance were better. Even if it were just more, I feel like we we talked about this a lot before we started recording because we had to get it off our chests. <laughs> so it wasn't as rambly. But it it's just... That was the part I think that disappointed me the most is that I thought I was going to get like a really cool, like, like silly, dumb lesbian romance, you know? And I mean, for the most part, there is, there's just, there's not a lot of chemistry in the dialogue scenes between the two leads. Like, it just feels very stilted. And I, I truly think that it's because of the writing and not necessarily the actors, because like their actual like like romance scenes where they're making out or kissing or whatever are very believable. Like yeah, they have steep. a lot of they have a lot of chemistry when they're making yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, and it's just when they when they're talking to each other that it just really falls flat. And I think that it's it's mainly in my head. I think I've I've narrowed it down to me. It's because. They're caught between wanting to make it enemies to lovers and having Calliope be this badass hunter who clocks Juliet as a vampire and is like, no, I'm not going to fall for your shit. Like, I'm not into you. And but they give that up like half, like not even halfway through the first episode. And suddenly she's just also in love with Juliet for seemingly no reason. And it just feels like Calliope's playing Juliet the whole time. And I'm just, like, waiting for the other shoe to drop when, in reality, the show is like, no, no, they're actually in love now. Right. But there's no kind of pivotal moment when you feel or see that shift. And you know that Brie and I are both big fans of Enemies to Lovers. And I think the reason that it bothered both of us was because, as you said, Brie, like, it just didn't commit to being Enemies to Lovers. And come on. Enemies to lovers, Romeo and Juliet, but supernatural. Tell me that doesn't sound like a fucking awesome idea. It should write itself. It right? should. It should. And like it's it's just so confusing to me 
how they messed it up so bad. <laughs> so have you read any of V.E. Schwab or Victoria Schwab's uh, books? She's credited. She's the showrunner. Um, and the show is based on one of her short stories. And she's credited as Victoria Schwab on the show. But she also publishes under V.E. Schwab, um, just to clarify. But have you read any of her books? I don't think so. I think that I remember the covers really well because like they were really popular and I like I can remember the shelf in my like a like intermediate school library that had them in my middle school library. Like I know what they looked like, but I don't think I ever read any of them because I was browsing the titles and I just I don't none of them are ringing any bells. Yeah. Well, I've read a few of hers. She's done she's published YA fantasy books as well as some adult books. Um, she's fairly successful in YA. She's mostly known for her darker shade of magic series. Um, that's the one that I hear about the most. And then last year she published an adult book called the invisible life of Addie LaRue. That was like a, a pretty big seller. Um, and I enjoy her, her work just she's fine. She's a big name in the YA like realm. Right. But I have found consistently that she doesn't write romance well. And so I, I'm wondering how much of the kind of failure of the romance in this show is kind of down to, like, just the whole... Because V.E. Schwab didn't write. She only wrote the teleplay for two of the episodes. That actually makes a lot of sense because the first two are the establishing two and those are the ones that kind of mess up how the rest of the story flows. Right. Right. And so I think I'm wondering if that is kind of Damn it, VE. <laughs> I mean, like <sighs> I I don't know. Part of me is like I'm kind of glad a grown-ass adult woman is bad at writing like high school kids getting on, <laughs> but like <laughs> it's also like how are you that bad at it? <laughs> I just, I I think the show is kind of built upon this star-crossed romance, but it seems like what the show is mostly interested in is world building. There's so much world building. Um, I mean, to I think the thing that really stood out to me is that the fact that the Calliope's family is not just vampire hunters, they're monster hunters. And so there's this whole setup where all of these supernatural creatures are here. And then they also have to take a lot of time to explain that like, oh, in Savannah where they're at, there was also like monsters that ran wild, like for a long time before. So people are aware and believe in monsters, but they're just not around anymore. And it just created a very clunky lore to me. Like a lore structure was just very like, I just, there strange was so, there was and there was so <laughs> much lore and so much exposition and like i i feel like the the main romance between juliet and calliope was used more as a plot device to kind of set this chain of events in motion and this collision between these two families in rather than in juliet fashion <laughs> yeah 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 but like i feel like there just wasn't um yeah, it was just sort of taken for granted that the two of them were going to get together, right? And like that is that's uh, that is how romance works. Like I get that, but there was just no tension that was kind of built or sustained or yeah, none of that like good enemies to lovers tension. 
Yeah, like they, they go from not knowing each other at all to immediately making out to being enemies to like back to making out. And I don't know, like to true just, love. Oh yeah, to immediate true love, which is just like like they they met the week before. Like not even a whole week has passed. Like I just it was just that it's just funny to me that in a show filled with really, really bad supernatural CGI and like really terrible dialogue, the least believable thing was the romance, which should have been easy. <laughs> right. And I also I was saying to Brie before we started recording, like this show was just not that horny. And I feel like because the strength of the two actresses, um, Juliet is played by Sarah Catherine Hook and Cal- Calliope is played by Imani Lewis. And Hook and Lewis, they have chemistry when they're making out. Like they do have that sexual chemistry. And so it was very strange that the show didn't utilize that as much as it could have, because I think that could have sold the romance. If they had made it hornier, it would have been like, okay, yeah, I get it. I see it. Um, in my opinion, but we know that I am always pro horniness. So take that with a grain of salt. (laughs) (laughs) But like, there's only one like truly steamy scene between the two leads. And it's in the middle of a wood in the, it's in the middle of the woods in a really like inopportune moment. And it just feels very out of place and strange and also like randomly very intense for no reason. Um, and then, like, later on, when things are, like, ramping down, and it would be normally the time to have any kind of steamy moment between the two, because they've, like, found a bed, like, they're in a bed together. And <laughs> Multiple they just, times! And they just go to sleep. <laughs> like, it just it doesn't, they have, they have reoccurring dreams, like, where they're actually in each other's dreams, And in these dreams, one of them is, like, in this whole, like, Eve-esque outfit where she's just wearing, like, foliage. And there's nothing that happens. (laughs) It doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to be, like, I'm not saying I want, like, constant sex scenes. Like, no, thank you. Not, not, especially because these are high schoolers. Like, that's not, I don't want that. But, like, like you said, there's zero tension. There's zero moments of, like, will they, won't they. There's just none of that. And... I just, you can't have a structure of, like, built on, like, so-called enemies to lovers and then just have them not be enemies to lovers. <laughs> I yeah. just don't get it. Yeah. And I, I yeah. I, There's more tension between the two moms. There is. So that's another thing. So let's get into that a little bit, because I think this show is absolutely a teen soap. And I think there is a rich tradition in teen soaps, starting with the OC, of, like, the parents being main characters and, in some cases, like, more interesting than the teen protagonists. And Gossip Girl is the same way. Um, I think Riverdale has that sometimes. Like, there is definitely a tradition of... They're trying to capitalize on all of the audience. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. They're kind of like hedging their bets. Like if you're an adult and you're tuning in, maybe you'll like the parents. Um, And I would say that the two moms in particular, Juliet's mom and Calliope's mom, are really great characters. They're played by two actresses who are bringing it... um, uh, the Julie, only two that are the only it. two, yeah. <laughs> Margot's mom is played by Elizabeth Mitchell. Um, 
Calliope's mom, Talia, is played by Aubin Wise, and she... Both of these actresses are gorgeous. They're both talented. They both Talia. have... Oof. They bo- And they both have the best writing, I think. Yeah. Yeah. For no reason. Like, I'm more interested in the mom than I am in either of the daughters. Like, Yeah. And I was telling Brie, like, the horniest scene is between um, Juliet's mom and dad. Like, they get this, like, little sexy, cute... And their romance is, is better because... You know, um, Juliet's mom, Margot, and her dad, Sebastian, those two, um, Juliet's parents, are have their own kind of love story history, right? So Margot is a legacy vampire. She was born a vampire. And then she fell in love with a human, Sebastian. And then she turned him into a vampire so they could be together. And they have really good, like, opposing personalities, like, the mom seems so much more cold and aloof, and especially in the beginning. And the dad seems kind of like a like warm human TV dad, you know? So it's really interesting to find out, like, how they relate to each other and how they're in love. And Yeah. And it, it's just, like, the more you learn about them, the more interesting it is. And I feel like it's the exact opposite about the two main leads who were supposed to be the stars of the show. <laughs> What I wanted from the two main leads is what we get from Juliet's mom and Calliope's mom interacting and, like, fighting about what they are. And there's none of that with Juliet and Calliope, and it just makes zero sense, because that's the premise of the whole damn thing. Right. And again, this is, like, no shade on the actresses who play Calliope and Juliet. Like, they're doing... It's truly the writing. It's It's, truly the writing. I think it's the writing that they are the least interesting characters. Like, Mm -hmm. their siblings have a lot going on, and they're interesting. Particularly Juliet's sister... Eleanor. Especially Juliet's sister Eleanor. Like, she's a super interesting character. And I think the only vampire character that I really cared about. (laughs) Um, No, I liked the brother the best. Oh, yeah. The brother was good. So uh, that's Oliver. So Oliver and Eleanor are twins. um, And they have their own whole thing going on. That, again, is more interesting than the main plot (laughs) between uh, Calliope and Juliet. Even Calliope's, like, brother, it's like an adopted brother. You find out he has this whole backstory about, like, his mom being killed by a legacy vampire when he was really young and then he was taken in by um, Calliope's mom, Talia, and raised as one of her siblings, or one of his siblings, or whatever. And it's it's like, I'm, I want to learn even more about that would be preferable. Which is like... Like we were saying earlier, there are so many things about this show that are intriguing and that work and that are fun and kind of just hit that that um you know cw show sweet spot <laughs> like because i like, like that kind I, of stuff. I teared up multiple times like i'm not like i was very hormonal at the time i will say that but i did i teared up a couple different times and even though i knew nothing like was actually going to happen to the dad like when he like almost died i was like oh, oh my god like he's dying <laughs> emotional yeah there's like good stuff in it and some of it is well executed and like it's not a total miss and i think if they had had time to kind of course correct it could have turned into something really fun um but yeah i now we'll never ever get it and now we'll never know (laughs) so i think going forward with this discussion i think the thing to do would be to talk about the two houses, both alike in dignity. First, we have the Hunters, and that is Calliope's family. Would they be the Montagues or the Capulets? 
I mean, I guess the Montagues sense Julia. I got that vibe. I got yeah, that vibe. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we have the hunters, and they are monster hunters, uh, not just vampire hunters. They hunt all manner of creatures. There's uh, zombies, there's... They don't really, like, go into classifying the other types of monsters. You just kind of see them in different fights. Um, so Calliope's family works for the guild, and they are sort of like the monster hunter organization. They seem very global. They seem to have a far reach. Uh, and so the guild is sort of set up as the, um, I guess, the the counterpart to um, the whole kind of vampire political structure on the other side of the equation. Because the guild also is kind of set up to be, it seems like a callous organization. Like they are, they care about the outcome more than the means. Duty above all else. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's set up from the beginning that the guild is probably going to be a problem for them, even though they are members of the guild, you know, in the same way that like, well, for the vampires the legacy vampires that whole shebang's gonna be getting in the way too <laughs> i don't know why i just said shebang shebang <laughs> that's a good <laughs> word shebang so yeah so calliope's family is sent to savannah on a particular mission and then they end up uncovering all of these legacy vampires who live in savannah and legacy vampires are like the big bad of all the, the creatures dumbest vampire lore i've ever heard how do you make vampires boring? They did. They did. Yeah. <laughs> so the legacy vampires are set up as like the big bads and the hunters don't know how to kill legacy vampires, which they becomes They seemingly important. can't die. Like they can, they can't be like staked. They can't be beheaded. Like nothing. They can walk in the sun. Yeah. Yeah. They have seemingly no uh, vulnerabilities. Yeah. Yeah. And throughout all of season one, which is all we're ever going to get, you never do find out how to kill a legacy vampire. We never figure it. We never find out as the audience what uh, actually kills one of these. It's got to have something to do with the damn snake. Why else would they be so keen on protecting it? It does. So let's get into the vampire lore of this show, because I think we were sort of thinking about this show in two ways. We can think about it as a supernatural teen soap and we can judge it on those merits. And I think on those merits, it's pretty successful. We have our issues with it, but like it's a decent teen soap. I think if it was allowed to go on, it would have eventually come together. I agree. I agree. But if we're judging it on the vampire part, if we're judging it as a vampire TV show, it falls flat. It falls flat. Trash indeed. I will give it kudos for trying to really take risks on how they're showing certain, like, quirks of vampirism or, like, how they're, like, physically demonstrating Juliet's struggle with turning. Because they were they were definitely going for something. I just think it was terrible. <laughs> and I so, you know, props to them for trying, but... It's just so the the whole concept of vampires, legacy vampires specifically, because I mean it's it's alluded that actual vampires are real, but we know nothing about them. We know nothing about how they behave or like anything except for they can't go out in the sun. <laughs> well, I don't know because Sebastian Juliet's oh, yeah, dad is one, a- and he was out in the sun. 
So it's not really poking holes. It's not really clear what if there's a difference. I mean, there is a difference, but the differences are never like delineated exactly. Only that the legacy vampires are born. They can't die. They can't be staked. They're born vampires rather than made. And there seems to be some sort of hierarchy, like among the legacies, they think they're better than made vampires because they're more powerful. So there's like a snobbery thing going on there. And it's a matriarchal structure. So the women are in charge. Um, Although you'd think that would make it not like gross and breedy, but it's not true because like you find out later on that the sister is expected to like provide however many kids her husband wants in the arrangement. So it's, it's just clearly the women are in charge, but they're still terrible. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so we have, these vampires who are legacy vampires, so they were born, not made, um, aside from the father who was a made vampire from the mother. But the two, the three children are basically like born legacy vampires. So it seems like for the most part, until they reach adolescence, they're just normal people. And then they start going through like the change. Like and, vampire puberty. Yeah, yeah. And so um, they have to start like taking these blood pills to like help them not lose control and freak out and like so they can still interact with people and not like reveal who they are not bite their necks yeah yeah (laughs) so so juliet's like popping these pills like crazy because she's actually been in this in-between stage for much too long because the way to end it is to either like feed for the first time or if you're a legacy vampire you have to have your quote-unquote first kill which i mean like juliet seems against from the very beginning against killing she doesn't seem like she wants to do that she's not really against being a vampire like she doesn't hate who she is she just doesn't want to kill anybody she doesn't want to be a murderer exactly and it and it seems like the only thing that makes her have to be a murderer is the fact that she's in this like fucked up family thing <laughs> this right. family cult yeah because it's not super clear, vampires. like what other than her mother expects her to why she has to kill her first victim like there are vamp like it's something about the fact that the snake that gives them all their legacy powers i guess or like their title of legacy like you're not a legacy vampire until the snake claims you and the snake has to bite you to claim you and the snake won't do that unless you've killed someone um and there's like a lot of basically the sisters like the snake won't bite you because it knows that you haven't killed anyone because she doesn't want to like actually drink any blood right and so the first kill thing for juliet as a legacy vampire is sort of given the, there's Calliope has sort of a mirror image thing as a hunter, where in order to become a full member of the guild and a, a, a real hunter, you have to kill your first monster. So she's looking for her first kill as well. And the hunters, I actually really liked the hunters have these markings on their arms. And when they kill, they get like a, like a new magical tattoo. Basically, it shows up on your arm. I think that's, that's actually really impractical, because if you're monster hunting for more than a couple years your whole arm will be black like 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 there's just so like they're so large like the the sword they're like little swords the logistics (laughs) of like where your tattoos are gonna fit after a while was very much ignored like if it's like a little tally mark i could see but like they're big ass tattoos and i'm like once you have like five of those your arms cover that's (laughs) true that's true yeah we have questions about that maybe they don't they don't expect them to live long enough to 
<laughs> dark, <more> than- <laughs> dark, dark. So that is how, you know, Juliet and Calliope meet is they try to mutually kill each other. And then they, they discover what the other is. Well, it's unclear that. So basically everyone thinks that Juliet is going to choose Calliope as her first kill. But all Juliet wanted to do initially was make out with her. And then she lost control because she had been not taking the or, like the blood pills like she should have been because her sister had, like hid them or whatever. She's sister's a bitch. <laughs> um, and then so she like bit her neck and then that caused Calliope to stab her. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they have this sort of like this meeting where they try to mutually kill each other and then they realize what the other is and then they again then they just sort of like fall in love i mean they become a couple i guess because as you said juliet has been interested in calliope romantically and sexually from the beginning so anyway um and there are a bunch of things like that where there the show is very interested in this parallel between the legacy vampires and the hunters and like trying to sort of set up these um these sort of parallel rituals these parallel crises these parallel um moral conundrums um and i think the show is actually pretty good at that that even though i didn't find the legacy vampire lore that interesting i thought structurally it worked all right yeah definitely Um, i would agree with you yeah uh so that was one thing i did like about the show um, but I found myself more interested in the hunters and the hunter lore and the legacies were just kind of like, I wasn't as interested, but I don't know what your take is. I wasn't really interested in either. <laughs> I was waiting for this. I was, I was waiting for the story to pick up and for something to change and for that to become the new thing. Because I, like, I started getting really interested when the hunter was turned into a vampire and then he gets dropped off at the vampire's place by the mom, the hunter mom, because she doesn't, like, the rest of the hunters wanted to kill him, but she didn't want to because she's like, that's my son. So she, like, basically smuggles him out and gives him to uh, Juliet's brother, who's, like, the estranged vampire guy. And he's cohabitating with, like, a witch, because apparently those are a thing, too. And um, so, like, that's that's the damn last episode is when I actually started getting interested in the story and I wanted to know how that would work and because obviously because he's not dead that would mean that Calliope would have to forgive uh, Juliet because she gets mad at her because she's the one that ends up turning him on accident it's like a whole thing I don't know but it's just like I was really interested in the direction that they ended on. Yeah, because I agree with you. I feel like they're setting up this dichotomy only to break it down. And so they're like setting it up. You know, there's going to be a complication. You know, things aren't going to stay. Because no one wants to see truly Romeo and Juliet. We don't want this dichotomy. (laughs) You know, we've had that. It's old news. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that the show is setting up throughout its eight episode run, the ways in which these two families, these two communities are more similar than they are different. Yeah. And so like you're waiting for that. And how they're both kind of mostly just full of problems. Like neither are actually operating very successfully as a family or as a cult. (laughs) Right. And so this romance between Calliope and Juliet is kind of what is going to, 
to affect change on both sides. That's kind of the setup. And I agree with you. I feel like I was waiting and waiting and waiting for that to happen. And it didn't really happen. It didn't set in motion until Talia brought her son, Theo, the turned vampire over to Oliver's house. Then I was like, yeah, okay, yes. Now we're talking. Now we're going. And then it ended. And then I was like, (laughs) oh, and then it really hits you that you're like, oh, wait, I just saw on Twitter that this was not renewed. This was canceled. And and it sucks because, like, everyone's like, oh, but, you know, there's the book. So at least you have the book, you know. But if the book is the whole reason that the beginning of the show is terrible, I don't want more of that. Well, and it's also, it's based on a short story. So I think that oh, the, It's not even a long book. Yeah. So I think <laughs> that the, the, the show expands on the source material a lot. So you're probably, you're not going to find any of the answers that you're seeking in the short story would be my guess. So my advice to you, dear listeners, would be just go watch Teen Wolf. <laughs> the same shit it's the same shit yeah yeah oh my god does that make me um am i betraying our vampire lore for like being a werewolf groupie oh yeah am i gonna have to excommunicate you did i get my badge taken away do i get my club membership revoked i think you might have to wow Although, good luck doing the show without me. That's true. That's true. I don't (laughs) want to do it without you. I was going to say, although we are very pro Lycan in the Underworld uh, episodes, even though I'm just like sorry that they're written better. I, you know, they're just written better. Like, and that's that's goddamn sad when I'm fully with a straight face saying that the Teen Wolf romances were written better than this. Because let me tell you something, those are not good, but they're entertaining, goddammit. Yeah, and I think that's where, like, my my trouble with this show isn't that it's a teen soap, because I like those. Like, I, I'm not against the genre, it's more that I don't think this show is, reaches its potential for that genre, you know? And that's, that's, again, it brings us full circle to the biggest issue being this structure of releasing eight episodes at once and then just dropping them and expecting great results when I just, and, and to tell you the truth, like if you're looking at the statistics, like this show pulled a lot of people, like it got high numbers for people watching it. So, I mean, I truly, I don't, like I mean I don't I don't know anyone in Netflix but I don't think that the reason was because it wasn't popular. Yeah, I mean they have all of their metrics that they look at and they don't tell the public what those metrics are. So sometimes there are cancellations that don't seem to make sense from the outside cuz we don't know how the algorithm works. Truly that scene from Barry. It really is. Truly really is. Really That's is. So accurate. <laughs> the algorithm just doesn't like you. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Bill Hader killed Netflix. He killed him dead. (laughs) You know what? Like, honestly, after 2024, I'm done with Netflix anyway. So I'm going to be like one of those other people. And I'm just going to, like, cancel my Netflix until 2024 and then renew it and then cancel it again. (laughs) I mean, I will say as we wrap this up, unless you have other things that you need to get off your chest. 
I will say as we wrap this up, this is my favorite of the teen vampire things that we have covered for this podcast. This is the one I've enjoyed the most. I will say that. I would agree. Other than other than the little vampire. Well, that's like a kid's movie. I don't think that I wouldn't count that as like teen. Still, it was it was more goddamn romantic than this. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> that's true. That's true. The swinger parents. I mean, come on. Come on. See, more horny. The little vampire is more <laughs> horny than this. <laughs> you heard it here first. No, you did not. You did not hear it here. Stop. Stop that. Lisa. <laughs> uh, um, but so, I mean, I feel like we we are being... I know I personally am being harsher on it because there were parts that did work. And like, I... I was fr- I was frustrated with it. I think that's why I'm being I'm sounding so harsh because I was frustrated with it. I think if it had just been flat out bad, I wouldn't have been I wouldn't Definitely. have cared, you know. And and then there's also the whole thing with like we there is going to be a frustration with our viewing of it just because it's been canceled already. Like we know that we're not getting more. We know that anything that we have that's a question will be completely unresolved to the end of time. And so it's just, it's one of those things that, like, I don't think I could have had a satisfied viewing of this knowing that there's going to be no more and that, like, I I just, I I can't know the potential that it had, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think, like, this show, too, in a certain way, I can see maybe why it wouldn't quite hit the zeitgeist because it feels a little past the time when I think it would have been a huge hit. Like, this feels like a I'm lot of the you, stuff... they saw Teen Wolf was coming out with a movie and they were like, <laughs> we gotta capitalize on that. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this feels like a lot of the YA vampire stuff that was coming out during and just after the Twilight boom. And This in 2014 would have killed. Would have, exactly! It would have killed. And I think it's well made enough that it would have like, it would have totally taken off at that time but it just feels like it's 10 years too Homophobia late. Homophobia aside. Right, right. And that's even- <laughs> one thing and that's one thing that I really appreciated about this show was that the central romance was um to teen girls and it was a uh, um a lesbian romance and it was very naturally handled like they didn't make a big deal about it like it wasn't it wasn't about LGBTQ issues. Like it no, was very, yeah. I appreciated that because that's not the genre that this show is. Like, I think it would have been weighed down if it tried to do that. And I liked, I appreciated the sort of effortlessness and the nonchalance with which they just presented this. They were just romance. two, two confident lesbian women. They both just know that they're into women and women only and that they knew that they were into each other. And that was never into question. Right. And that was never a source of drama. Like with the families, it was never like, Oh, you like girls. It was like, Oh, you like a vampire or Oh, you like a hunter. So, because we didn't, the show didn't need that extra level of drama. There was already so many, so much drama. They didn't need to make it like, Oh, now it's forbidden love because they're lesbians too. So I I did like that. I will say. I really, I did enjoy that. And like I said, the actual romantic scenes between the two main actors were really good. And I was there. I was like, wow, I want them to be together. 
But it just, when it came to them actually talking, I was like, dear God, just go back to making out, please. Right, right. Totally. totally, Enough of that. Totally. Enough of that. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Which is so funny because, like, the whole problem with, like, most lesbian media is the fact that it's, like, fetishized and it's, like, only horny and it's, like, clearly written by, like, straight guys who just want to see two women making out. Right, right. And it's like, actually, I would have preferred that here. (laughs) Just let me see him make out. <laughs> I just want to see some hot kissing. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, I think, yeah, I, this this show felt kind of like a throwback a little bit, but to something that's not far enough past that it feels nostalgic. <laughs> yeah, I think that maybe if they did this, if they tried something like this again in maybe like five years... It could really, it could really catch on because it would really pull all of the people who were like, "Man, you know what? I really miss like Twilight." It's but, like, Wolf. <laughs> but, like, I've, but like I've like watched them all a lot, and I don't really. It's like you know how like right now we're at the age where you can't really rewatch Mean Girls anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like it, it was like nostalgic when Ariana Grande came in with that mu- music video, and you're like, "Oh yeah, haha, Mean Girls." But, like, no one went out and watched it again because, like, you had already, like, overwatched it to the point where it's, like, it's just not, it's not watchable anymore. It's not even funny because you're, like, I just, it's just, I know it inherently. I by heart. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and I feel like that that's kind of the thing with vampires right now. Like, well, with, teen, and vampires. teen vampires. Yeah, vampires. teen vampires it's, in particular. It's, like, we are still kind of, like, to the point where we have just gotten there with Twilight, where we've kind of gorged ourselves and it's no longer fun for the most part to marathon because like it's the novelty's worn off and like the obsession has worn off. And I feel like everyone, especially in the pandemic, like went through the Twilight rewatch. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, now we are just kind of like, okay, let's try something different. And so this was just not the ideal time to release this. Right. Because it's also, I feel like the teen vampire Twilight thing is still sort of the cliche. Like there hasn't been enough time yet that it doesn't feel like that is still the thing everyone thinks about when you talk about vampires. But it's not current enough that anything commenting on it feels fresh. (laughs) So It's it's like It's the same thing with Dracula Dead and Loving It. Right, yeah. I do kind of feel it's a similar situation. It's too soon. Well, and I think the fact, like, even in the theme song for First Kill, they reference Edward and Bella. the fucking intro. It was really annoying. (laughs) I skipped it every time. And I usually at least give an intro, like, one or two watches, just because I'm like, people spent time on this. Like, I want to pay, like, respect to the artists behind this intro. You know, no, fuck that. (laughs) Yeah, it's terrible. The the song was really annoying. But the fact that there's the a animation line that, was just weird. True. It wasn't good. It was yeah. So weird. It was all the around tone, a question mark. It made no sense with the rest of the show. Like it was like they were trying to do like a pretty little liars thing, but then they were also like doing that like Twilight referencing. Yeah. And and yeah, I mean the Twilight reference it didn't again work. made it and it made it feel dated again. Like like there was a like, time there's nothing similar to the story of first kill in twilight like at all like 
Well, and it's, I feel like, yeah, I feel like there was a, a point in time where every vampire thing, and we've mentioned this on the podcast multiple times, where every vampire thing had to have a Twilight joke in it. And no, we don't sparkle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or even like the um, the Fright Night remake, you know, they had to bring it up. And um, yeah, I mean, there was just a period of time where every vampire thing kind of had to make its Twilight joke. And I think it's been long enough that things don't have to do that anymore. We can forget. Yeah. And, and I think by putting that reference in there, again, it places this sort of spiritually in a time maybe 10 years ago when everything, every vampire thing felt like it had to reference Twilight. And that's the thing that it's also, and that's why it's extra confusing to me because this take on vampires is, is like a very new take. Like, like we said, it's kind of boring and I'm not into it, but it's still different. It's still different than the standard teen vampire lore that we usually get. So they didn't have to tie it to anything pre-existing. Like it was just like you said, they weren't doing the classic vampire stuff. Yeah. It just, it just dated it for no reason. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It was a mixed bag clearly, but I think we're not going to do any more television for a while because it's so much to watch. And we like did all of our True Blood stuff and then doing this. I'm like, I want to just watch a two hour movie for the podcast. (laughs) I was like, that sounds good. (laughs) I just want to watch a movie in general. I'm just like ready for a movie that's been so rainy. Yeah. So you want to curl up with a good scary movie? Yeah. Maybe we'll do a scary one next. We should. We should. We haven't done a scary one in a while. We're going to do a scary one next. Stay tuned. (laughs) Stay tuned to be spooked. Yes. So. Like any of you actually watch the movies before listening. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe we have like a devoted group of like watch along fans, like where they listen, they watch and listen like religiously. I know know all four of our listeners, Leah. Well, I know one (laughs) of them does that. I know my mom does that. True. We have your mother. Shout out to Leah's mom. The best. Also, shout out to my mom. She watches them too. Yeah. Yeah. Moms are the best. Um, but yeah, I while we're on the subject of thanking everybody, I have to say thank thank you to everyone who's been listening to our podcast for a whole fucking year. Woo-hoo! It's been a year since we released our very first episode, our What We Do in the Shadows movie episode. And I can't believe we've been going for a year. I can't believe you guys have stuck with us. I feel so grateful that Bree and I have been able to do this for a whole year and we have so much more still to do no, and to we're come. not slowing down. We've been adding things to our list like faster than we've been striking them off, you know? Like Yeah. I'm pumped. I know, I am too. And it's been so it's been a wonderful year and I'm so excited for year two. I'm looking forward to it. I hope you are too, Brie. I'm not like, I'm not keep, not keeping you hostage in the in this podcast out of the two enterprise. Of us, out of the two of us, one of us has gone and started a new fancy podcast by herself. So <laughs> who's leaving who behind? Hey, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. I'm going to bring all those other podcast listeners over here. Definitely. Definitely. Fan club is my first love. <laughs> Hopefully not your first kill. <laughs> well, hopefully not. But <laughs> <Ba-dumps. laughs> 
<laughs> so thank you for sticking with us for a year. And thank you, Brie, for sticking with me for a year. It's thank been so you fun. For enduring a year with me. <laughs> ah, ha, ha, ha. I wouldn't do it with anybody else. I feel like you are, have been a wonderful co-host and a perfect partner in crime. <laughs> Plus, you're the funny one. You you make this podcast enjoyable. That's I'm true. All, you're the smart one. <laughs> I don't know about that. I'm I'm all business, but you have the good jokes. <laughs> you're the reason people tune in. It's not me. I promise. That is a lie. <laughs> it's because of both of us. That's true. We are a gem of a team. Chemistry, like we were talking about. Chemistry, baby. They should have us write the romance dialogue. I feel. Like- I know. We'll, well save that. We're saving that for our Dracula. We have a whole, we have a whole thing that we have in our heads. Mm-hmm. 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 May or may not involve eventually Mads Mikkelsen. <laughs> oh my god, ah, that would be like perfect. It might not happen till we're in our fifties, and he is very old. But it will happen. He'll still be. He'll still be hot even he'll when still he's be very hot. old. It's I will. I would let that man do anything to me, even when he was like eighty-nine. I don't care. Yeah. I don't, those cheekbones aren't going away. And he's still smoking, I bet. <laughs> he's still oh, yeah. going to be smoking that oh, cigarette. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's going to have an iron lung just puffing <laughs> away. <laughs> oh, I love this. Name a man who can pull off an iron lung better. I'll wait. <laughs> I mean, I can't think of one. I I can't. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, if you enjoy this delightful banter and you want to show us, feel free to rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify if you can. It will help future listeners find our show so we can continue. Well, we're going to continue whether or not future listeners find us, but we've been having a great time. So <laughs> That's true. That's true. We do it like 50% for the fans and 50% just because we like to do it. <laughs> We're both very much, if you couldn't tell already, the people who just love to hear each other talk about things. So <laughs> what could be better than starting a podcast, you know? Exactly. Yeah. It we were written, we were born for this. Written in the stars, baby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you can find show notes and other related information in the episode description. And if you have anything that you want to share with us, you can find us on Instagram and or Twitter at Fang Club Pod. Still there. <laughs> Still there. <laughs> We also have an email, which is fanclubpod at gmail.com. And an extra special thank you to all of our Kofi supporters. You can join them at www.kofi.com slash fanclub. That's www.ko-fi.com slash fanclub. And as always, the best way to support us is to listen and to tell your friends about us. So we will see you next time for a scary movie. Yes. Bye.